Welcome to Life in the Fans Lane podcast after a long, wet, rainy weekend at Circuit of the Americas. Uh, Clark, what's going on tonight? Drinking some Freak Show wine. Freak Show, that makes sense. Uh, you bought a bottle of your own wine. Um, as I'm sitting here looking at the at the FaceTime, yeah, that makes complete and total sense. Yep, it's a 2018 cab from Cali. Uh, pretty delicious stuff. A Cabernet Sauvignon. Is that is that, what, is that how you say it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and and I see you're rocking the uh, the Ryan Vargas Rhino Gang shirt over there. I'm, yes, still, I got, I'm still waiting for mine in the mail. Yes, I got mine uh, two days ago, I believe, and was excited to throw it on. It's a pretty stylish shirt, like I mentioned before. And uh, one more time, if you want to get a cool NASCAR shirt, RyanVargas.com. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we have some news coming up about Ryan Vargas uh, in our news segment tonight. Uh, a lot better news than last week, actually. So... Uh, Clark, I think we we have a ton of topics to jump into uh, here tonight. So, what do you say we get going? Throw the green flag. All right. Well, as I previously mentioned, it was a wet, wet, wet weekend at Circuit of the Americas. Uh, Clark, I know you caught. I, you might have caught all three races. Um, I only caught the Cup race. Um, I had a uh, had a wedding this weekend, uh, but. Did you did you get a chance to watch uh, Truck and Xfinity? Uh, I actually caught I think like stage one and a good chunk of stage two of the trucks. Um, caught some Xfinity qualifying, missed the entire Xfinity race, and then watched. I I missed a little bit of the truck race, or I'm sorry, the Cup race. Mm-hmm. So gotcha. Got a lot of got a lot of racing in, and again, I usually try to do that for road courses or anything that's like a new event. Um, you know, the dirt race at Bristol, I tried to watch a good chunk of that, but yeah, um, yeah. So it was a it was definitely some good racing there. Yeah, definitely uh, very impressed with the facility, and I, I think we talked plenty last week about how we. We're hoping it wasn't going to rain, um, but it did, and uh, you know, kind of threw a wrench in a few things, but um, also added to the strategy aspect that we saw multiple times throughout the weekend. Um, but with that being said, let's let's jump into the truck race and do a uh, review of the standings from this past weekend. Uh, Todd Gilliland uh, getting his first Camping World Truck Series win for Front Row Motorsports uh, in his second win of all time. Uh, second place, your buddy Kaz Gralla. Uh, I know Kaz was in the running there for the uh, the first part of the race, and and uh, was actually having a really strong showing. Um, I, I I did watch what I guess probably 20, 25 laps. I think is what it was. Um, but Kaz Gralla second, and Tyler Ankrum uh, ran third in the truck race. And with that win by Todd Gillen, that puts him up into fifth place in points. Uh, for the uh, playoffs as we move further into the season. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek, Ben Rhodes, and Sheldon Creed uh, continue to lead the point standings. 
for the Xfinity Series, uh, Kyle Busch put on a clinic uh, on Saturday uh, after the uh, truck race, uh, driving the Skittles Gummies Toyota Supra. Clark, you ever had the uh, Skittles Gummies? I have not. Those sound pretty they, good. They though. do. They do. It's like it's like all the goodness of Skittles, but you don't have to be picking that that <laughs> your teeth. Uh, you know the hard, yeah. crunchy uh, candy part of it. Kyle Busch. Uh, Finished first over A.J. Allmendinger and Justin Allgaier. Uh, I was looking at how many laps he led here. Uh, he led 35 out of 46 laps, so pretty dominant day. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, Coda is uh, 3.41 miles, so uh, so that's why the, the lap numbers are obviously so short. Uh, and as far as the point standings go, Kyle Busch, uh, of course, not qualified to receive Xfinity points. Uh, he, he elects, obviously, to um, run for cup points on a weekly basis. So there is no shakeup there with the uh, point standings. Uh, and it continues to be Austin Sindrick first, Harrison Burton second, and A.J. Allmendinger running third. And finally, on to the cup race. Uh, Chase Elliott uh, getting the win with the rain-shortened race, uh, shortened by 14 laps. Uh, he did make the pass on the uh, Mallard Duck, I guess I should say. Uh, they, they were out there racing that day. It was pretty wet. Uh, Kyle Larson ran second, followed by Joey Logano. Wait, wait, wait. What did you say? Uh, Kyle Larson finished second? <laughs> He did. Uh, I think that was three or four in a row now. King, King of second place. Why don't you look up? Why don't I you look at that stat? Are we are we the first people to crown him the king of second place? By the way, or has that been kind of talked about? Uh, no, I don't really think it's been talked about. Um, if if it has, it hasn't been in like a large capacity. So um, we might have just given him that crown. Over the past few weeks, I mean, obviously this is this is nothing new. Yeah, so he's on a three three race streak of second place because going back to the bushy bushy McBush race, Kevin Harvick finished second. So we've got uh, we've got three in a row for Kyle Larson. Um, man, dude just can't get it done. But uh, really quick, we we talked about Hendrick Motorsports going for a four. Or one, two, three, four last yeah. week. Um, I think they're kind of starting to show their power this season. They they finished one, two, eight, eleven this week. Um, so three top tens uh, with Alex Bowman finishing eighth and William Byron uh, finishing eleventh. So now I will say uh, William Byron, while while eleventh place is a good finish, uh, he broke his streak of I think he was going for eleven top or eleven straight top tens in a row. Uh, which I think would have broke a record if I if I remember correctly, but um, unfortunately that uh, did not end up there, and uh, he ended up finishing 11th. Uh, but we we had some pretty notable names in the top 10 um, that really were there uh, all day um, for the most part. There was some strategy involved, but you look at uh, Ross Chastain. We haven't seen him up in the top uh, top of the leaderboard most uh, most of this season, but he finished fourth. Uh, AJ Allmendinger, who of course is not running for points, but but Colleg Racing doing a part-time schedule this year, uh, he finished fifth. Chase Briscoe, uh, we have not talked much about him except for, uh, I guess probably a disappointing season uh, so far. Uh, 
and then Michael McDowell. Um, we're, we, we continue to talk about Michael McDowell on a weekly basis. And, um, you know, we talk about it, how, how many winners are we going to have and where are the points going to fall. Well, well, Michael McDowell keeps doing this, and he'll be just fine. Um, gained another 39 points this week. And with that, let's move on to the point standings. Uh, Denny Hamlin leads William Byron second and Kyle Larson in third. Uh, now, we mentioned Michael McDowell. He actually is in 16th in points. Uh, so he is right on the cusp of uh, of not making those uh, making those playoffs at the moment, but um, really great to see him continue to run well, um, even as we get almost about halfway into the season. Um, this to, yeah. to to clarify, he will make the playoffs if we don't have six seventeen winners. He'll make the playoffs. You you had said. Yes. Uh, you know, he's on the cusp of not making the playoffs. He will make it if we don't have 16 winners. And uh, I think Michael's going to be just fine, though, because um, we've got plenty of road course races left this season. So um, I think that's kind of his strong suit, that. And then, you know, um, he's always in it for Talladega and Daytona, which we've got two more of those. Um, so... I think he'll be just fine, even if there are 16 winners. I'm going to go on the record and say that. Going on the record, eh? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I, I meant to look up a stat here before I uh, before I jumped on here. Uh, I do have a note, though. Uh, Kyle Busch, uh, after leading a lap this weekend, has now led over 18,000 laps in the, in the NASCAR Cup Series in his career. Pretty impressive number. That is impressive. Yeah, I was I was hoping, uh, or I was I meant to look up where that falls with uh, with past drivers. And it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. He looks like he's in the top ten. Uh, Richard Petty uh, in his career uh, being the top leader. Obviously, things were a lot different back when Richard Petty raced. But uh, Richard Petty led uh, nearly 52,000 laps uh, in his career. So, pretty impressive. But, wow. yeah, Kyle Busch just continues to uh, to check things off in the record books. And uh, he, he truly will be one of the greatest drivers in the in the history of NASCAR. With that being said, let's move on to our news segment this week. Well, Clark, after we got off the show last week, there was actually some pretty big news that broke um, concerning Brad Keselowski, uh, Team Penske, and Roush Fenway, uh, Roush Fenway Racing. Um, multiple entities reported last week uh, that Brad Keselowski is apparently going to take an ownership stake in Roush Fenway Racing. Um, this was first reported on by Jim Utter uh, with the Charlotte Observer. And then uh, Bob Pachris, uh, who, we, who we make mention of plenty of times on here, um, he tweeted that it appears to be a done deal. Um, there's a lot of questions around how this deal is going to work and, and what this means moving moving forward for, for of course, Brad Keselowski and um, Roush Fenway Racing. But uh, this is obviously a move I did not see coming. Um, I think we talked about, what, last week or the week before, about there may actually be an option for Matt Benedetto to stay in the Team Penske fold, right? And I think somebody was saying, that, well, is there a fourth car up there or, or what's going on? But uh, this seems to possibly have been what they were talking about. 
what's your uh, what's your thoughts on this? I'd love to see uh, Matty D in the number two car, man. I'd be surprised if he goes to the two, though. I I think Matty really? I think Matty D would be with the twenty one still. Oh okay. Obviously, it's a it's like a satellite team, though. You know, they get all their resources from Team Penske. Yeah, but isn't didn't you say somebody else is stepping into the twenty one? He is. Um, so Austin Sindrick, who has been racing the thirty three, is stepping into the twenty one, and and Austin's dad um, is like a higher up at Team Penske, uh, Tim Sindrick. Um, so if if Team Penske gets a chance to put him in that two car, I think that's what we're probably going to see. Oh, Sindrick in the two yeah. car, and Matt, Matty D staying in the twenty one. Yep. Okay. Yep. So. And to be fair, I think, you know, Austin Sindrick, while while Matt DiBenedetto is not that old, I think Austin Sindrick is probably, they're looking to make him the future of Team Penske. Um, it, would, it would definitely be like a, a move out, out of left field. I mean, this, this entire thing is a move out of left field um, to see if Brad Keselowski is, is going to enter into the ownership portion of this. Yeah, and I, I was going to say, that even mixes up. We had talked about early in the season about uh, him potentially making a move to 23-11. Yep. Um, so that kind of shakes things up and kind of ruins that idea if he does end up, you know, mm-hmm. um, inking this deal. But it's it's definitely an interesting business move for him to take an ownership stake and, and switch teams, so... Um, I'm sure financially it probably makes more sense than him than staying with uh, Team Penske. So yeah, so Brad Keselowski has his own company right now as well. It's a uh, machine manufacturing company. Um, from what I understand, uh, Brad well Brad used to own a truck series team, and he ultimately decided that it was no longer profitable to where he needed it to be. And actually made that shop into his new business venture. Um, the one thing that kind of maybe concerns me or I question about this possible move is, to, from what I remember, Brad Kozlowski did not have like a, a plethora of sponsorship with those truck teams. So, I don't know. I, I mean, it's just, it's a very... Um, yeah, it was out of left field, that's for sure. Um, but with that being said, uh, Fastenal, who who currently sponsors uh, Chris Buescher, uh, has signed on through 2024. So this could be setting up to to sponsor Brad moving forward. Um, and it's just going to be really interesting to see where it goes. I, I've heard rumors that it's going to be for the six car, which would, of course, mean that, that Ryan Newman is is out of out of a ride here. Um, but Ryan Newman is probably close to retiring anyways. Um, but yeah, definitely an interesting story that we're going to have to watch here. Hell, by the time this podcast is out, it, it might actually, um, might actually be a real thing. So now, uh, we do have a little more news on 2311 racing, um, not in terms of, uh, of a ride next year, but, uh, that DraftKings, uh, who, who joined the NASCAR fold probably two or three years ago, uh, the fantasy, uh, Fantasy Sports app. I was going to say Fantasy Racing, but they have more than racing. Fantasy Sports app, um, they have agreed to expand their sponsorship with Bubba Wallace and 2311 Racing. 
um, which will include uh, a primary sponsorship um, for one race and then digital marketing and then at track experiences. And we know now that as things are opening back up, that these at track experiences are going to be, um, I don't know, um, what do I want to say? It's going to be crucial moving forward with, uh, with at track experiences. Uh, 2311 racing. Uh, I just I'm gonna put a prediction out there that if this whole thing happens with Brad Keselowski and Austin Sindrick and and Matt DiBenedetto, um, I am making the bold prediction that John Hunter Nemechek moves from Kyle Busch Motorsports in the Truck Series to take over a 2311 ride next year if they go to two cars. I think that's what John Hunter's uh, plan was, or, or his hope was, was to you know move down to the truck series, go win a bunch of races, prove himself, and then hopefully jump back up and get himself a quality cup ride instead of uh, front row motorsports where he's running 25th every week. So this could end up paying off big time for John Hunter. Yeah, he's, a, he's definitely a talented driver, and he just didn't really have much um, in, the, in the cup series. So... Um, I think it'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be a hell of an opportunity. I think he's only like 25 or something like that. And to get a ride with 2311, that's 2311 will be one of the, uh, one of the big dogs in the sport eventually. Um, we have a little more coming up on Bubba Wallace later in the show, um, that, that we'll talk about, but for now, um, yeah, DraftKings joining 2311 as a primary sponsor. SRX, uh, we talk about the Superstar Racing Experience. Uh, they inked a deal this past week to be uh, to be featured in a video game. Uh, not just featured, but it's called SRX the Game. So first year of the series, and, and somehow they were able to, uh, to pull a video game out of this. Um, I think it was Monster Gaming or something like that uh, that, has, uh, that is producing the game. But um, great exposure for, for younger kids and, and gamers all around. We, Any idea what platforms? Uh, console, no PC. Now, I I think I think SRX will end up on iRacing eventually, if that's where you're going with that. Uh, not necessarily. I was just curious to get it out there for listeners. I gotcha. Uh, this will probably be our last message uh, concerning full capacity, uh, as, especially as places open up more and more into full capacity. Um, obviously with me being here in Michigan, uh, we have announced that we are, our, our restrictions are done July 1st, which is about a month away. Um, so I would, I would fully expect that, I mean, not fully expect the Detroit Tigers are going full capacity on June 1st. NASCAR will most likely be full capacity, um, in August when they visit. Um, but Nashville super speedway announces that they will be number one, hundred percent capacity and all tickets are sold out. For the inaugural cup race there um in just a couple weeks so great to see for the city of nashville uh there's a lot of people out there thinking this is kind of an audition to get nashville back at the fairgrounds so uh kudos to all the nascar fans for going out and buying a ticket um i would love to but there was so much uncertainty around this time that who who knew where we'd be at so um, but hopefully we'll see them at the fairgrounds as a result ty dillon uh, we mentioned that he has run with Gaunt Brothers Racing in the 96 Toyota, uh, but it came out today that Ty Dillon is going to be driving the Hour Motorsports number 23 Chevrolet in the Xfinity Series um, this coming weekend at Charlotte. So 
Kind of, kind of interesting that that tie is actually bouncing around between manufacturers because it's not usually something that happens in the sport. Um, but Ty is just trying to pick up some rides wherever he can, and um, he's going to get another opportunity with uh, with our motorsports. And and not to mention, he's actually running the 54 Toyota for Joe Gibbs Racing in the Xfinity Series, not just the 96 Toyota. So, um, yeah, definitely interesting. Um, I, I'm curious how long his deal with with Joe Gibbs Racing is. And, and if that's even still intact. Kyle Larson uh, picked up a new sponsor for the Coke 600 this week. Uh, Metrotech. Uh, Metrotech Automotive has signed on to sponsor Kyle Larson this weekend. And uh, it just continues to, to keep the sponsor ball rolling for him. And Clark, I know we've talked about the, the mistakes that Kyle Larson has made, but at, at what point do you see this guy running, you know, top two every week and say we got to take a chance on this guy (laughs) by top two you mean always second place (laughs) yes (laughs) oh man i don't know i I think you take a chance on him he's obviously proven the talent there and if you want your uh if you want your name in victory lane to get that exposure he's got a good shot at i mean uh, Hendrick Motorsports, like I just mentioned, has uh, has really kind of turned it up these last couple of weeks here. So, yeah, and I, I'm sure you know this from watching other sports, but there's like measures that come out of of the TV exposure, right? And you know, it could come out halfway through the season or at the end of the season, and and how much the value equates to in terms of exposure with uh, with each driver, each team, each sponsor. Um, Kyle Larson has to be at at or near the top right now. I mean, that that guy is running up front, and he's been a big story um, the entire year. So I think Kyle Larson's doing what he needs to do, right? He's trying to put that behind him, uh, give the best runs that he can, and, and typically those are second. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's good to see another sponsor joining on for Kyle Larson. Well, Clark, we mentioned uh, we would talk a little bit about Ryan Vargas later in the show. And unfortunately, of course, last week Ryan Ryan was not in the seat. Um, I didn't even see. Let's let's go back up here to the results to see where his fill in finished. Spencer Pumpley, uh, and I did see on social media that Ryan was actually spotting for this car this weekend, um, which is not uncommon. They had three or four spotters around the track this weekend because uh, the track is so big. Um, but let's see. That car finished 19th this weekend, uh, the six car did. So uh, the four car finished 22nd. Um, so, so Spencer Pumpley did exactly what he was hired to do, and um, they're just trying to solidify the, the point standings for that car. But on the complete other end of it, uh, Ryan, Vargas, Ryan Vargas announced today that um, Swan Security uh, and Best Buy are going to be on the car this weekend. Um the Best Buy sponsorship is like shades of history. Uh, Best Buy has uh, been prominent in NASCAR for a long time. Uh, and then the last time they sponsored a car is in 2013 with Ricky Stenhouse. So so Ryan and, and this team have, have brought back Best Buy into the sport with sponsor Swan Security. Um, and I, I know that he's received a lot of accolades on, on social media today for the look of that car. I think you're sitting there looking at the notes, right? And uh, hell of a paint scheme on this car for uh, for Memorial Day weekend this week. 
Yeah, it's a cool looking car, and I bet the conversation with, between Ryan and Best Buy was Best Buy was just like, "Hey, man, are you gonna spin out like Recky Spinhouse?" <laughs> and Ryan said, "No." And they're like, "All right, done deal." That, that's how that negotiation piece went. <laughs> Sign the contract. <laughs> Well, Clark, that is all we have for NASCAR news, but we also have a huge, huge race this weekend. Uh, do you know what the race is this weekend outside of NASCAR? What was that? Uh, do you know? <laughs> Focus. Focus. Hey, hey, over here. Hey. <laughs> um, we might need to cut him off from the, uh, the freak show wine, but... Um, <laughs> We have the Coke 600 this weekend. Uh, typically, we have three racing series uh, on Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. It's usually the Monaco Grand Prix with F1, uh, the NASCAR Coca-Cola 600, and then what else do we have this weekend, Clark? The Indy 500. The Indy 500. Absolutely. Danica Patrick, uh, the first woman to lead the, the Indy 500 in 2005, is going to lead the field to green in the pace car uh, this weekend. Um, I can't wait for the Indy 500. Um, I'm going to say that I'm more excited for the Indy 500 than I am the Coca-Cola 600. Um, we've talked a little bit on, on this show about how, how big of an, big of an event, uh, the Indy 500 is. And, um, there's just something about settling in at noon, grabbing a little lunch, grabbing some beers and, and watching the, the greatest spectacle in motorsports. So, um, I can't wait for the Indy 500 this weekend. Yeah, I saw that uh, there was some practice going on for the Indy 500 and reaching speeds of 240 miles an hour with, I believe, average lap speeds of like 233. Yeah, so, 232. Yeah, I think it was 232. So these cars don't uh, these cars don't let up real uh, a whole lot. <laughs> put put some wings on those things and get them in the clouds. <laughs> That's no joke. Uh, yeah, uh, someone hit 240 going into turn three the other day. That's that's an insane amount of speed. Uh, keep it on the Indy 500 track here. Uh, Scott Dixon. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Uh, <laughs> you could hear it ding in the, in the mic there. Um, Scott Dixon for Chip Ganassi Racing uh, got his first pole since 2017. Uh in, in all races, but uh, for the Indy 500 on Sunday, uh, Scott is going to lead the field to the green. Uh, perhaps the bigger story of the weekend, or biggest story of the weekend, is Simona Di Silvestro um, and Pareto uh, Motorsport. Uh, they are a female forward uh, race team, uh, and Simona and um, Beth Pareto are the only female driver and female owner combination to ever make the Indy 500. Uh, so pretty big story coming out of the 105th Indy 500 uh, this week. Uh, I was watching an interview with Beth Peretta and and she had mentioned that they're doing everything they can to, to get uh, more of a female crew on this car. Um, she said that they are putting... They're, they're hiring people that have never been to a racetrack before to come fit this car. Um, so hopefully the competition standpoint is there. Um, it is not an all-female crew, but it is a forward uh, female forward crew. Um, and listening to the story a little bit behind this, um, 
and I, I, I don't know a ton about Beth Peretta or, or IndyCar in general, but, but learning a little bit about the story, uh, Beth has kind of come up through motorsports. She, she won a, a championship. She's the owner of the team, won a championship with Roger Penske and Brad Keselowski in 2012 on the NASCAR side. Um, and then this past year, IndyCar uh, had mentioned that they were looking to do a program to uh, promote diversity um, and uh, it, diversity across the sport of IndyCar. And Beth Peretta pretty much said, "Hey, I wanna, I wanna start my own team." And she went to her old, old friend and, and I think boss Roger Penske and said, "Hey, is there anything you can do to, to help me do this?" And, and Roger Penske essentially said, "We have a, te- uh, we're gonna give you a technical alliance. We're gonna give you all the resources that that we have, um, and, and hopefully make this happen." Um, she just barely. Uh, Simona Di Silvestro and, and that team just barely made the Indy 500 on Sunday. Um, but I do have to say, I don't think it was due to the team or the driver um, or, or Peretta Motorsport or the driver. The The team Penske cars were extremely slow in, in qualifying. Um, Will Power, who is uh, one of the biggest names in IndyCar, almost missed the Indy 500 this past weekend. So um, she was about right on par with the rest of the Team Penske cars. and um, But it, what a great story to, to see her make the Indy 500. Um, this is her fifth time, I believe, making the Indy 500. But uh, obviously the circumstances revolving around that are, are pretty special. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I just want to say really quick, it's the 105th running of the Indy 500. Yep. It feels like yesterday you went to the hundredth running of the Indy 500. Yeah, uh, 2016 was the hundredth, and, and it was the first Indy 500 I'd ever I'd ever been to. And uh, man, I was hooked. So I really hope we can go next year. Um, it's it's such a cool I, event. I seriously thought that was like uh, 2019. Nope, nope 2016. I, I knew it wasn't last year because of the pandemic, right. but I felt like it feels like it was 2019. <laughs> That's insane, man. Yeah. We're getting old. <laughs> we are getting old. We are. Yikes. I think I can see your gray hair through the camera, even even from here. Yeah, that's because I'll always be older and wiser than you. Just by a month. So it's yep. just a little bit. Month and a day. <laughs> All right, well, that does it for our news segment. Uh, obviously, a lot of racing on hand uh, this coming weekend, but uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I got a wedding. My, I got my sister's wedding on Saturday and, and plan to watch a lot of racing on Sunday, um, as well as uh, thank our heroes for, for um, their service and their uh, their dedication to their country for Memorial Day. It's a special weekend. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's head into In the Groove or In the Marbles. First topic. Uh, Clark, we mentioned it was a very wet weekend at CODA. Uh, not the weekend we hoped for in terms of uh, the racing quality that, that we were hoping to see with an inaugural race. Uh, but first topic revolves around racing in the rain in general. Um, we, we watched some of the struggles uh, that, that NASCAR and the teams and the drivers had, um, as well as probably the fan experience was, was a little, little um, moist as well. Sorry to all of you that hate that word out there. Uh, and, and I guess, uh, first of all, I did want to say we wanted to have our, our friends Zach and Eric on, but um, it just didn't work out this weekend or this week. 
I feel like I always do that. It just didn't work out this week. Um, so with that being said, from just a TV viewership uh, standpoint, Clark, uh, racing in the rain. Um, is this the growing pains of a new event? Uh, do we continue to do it the way we're doing it? Uh, I know you watched most of the cup race, so in the groover and the marbles of how this all went. I think we continue to do it. Um, I'm in the groove with racing in the rain. Um, I brought this up earlier in the season when we kind of discussed this topic and trying to figure out how to not have rain delays and things of that nature. But I think you definitely continue to do it at road courses. Um, Obviously, we don't do it at ovals right now, but I would like to see it get there. Well, to, um, to not to interrupt you, but they are practicing, or I'm sorry, uh, testing the wet wet pavement tire at Richmond tomorrow. Okay. I I think it's, uh, you, you, you preface this with from the TV perspective only, um, so I'm trying to answer it only from the TV perspective. I think a race in the rain in person would be freaking sweet, like I said before. Um, I think I would have a blast with it, <laughs> especially if I had tailgated, a, you know, for several hours and then it started raining. Um, if it was raining the whole time, it might be tough to get into it at first, but once you have enough beers, I assume I'd probably be, um, I'd probably be into it. Well, it, it helped um, with you too, right? You only take one shower a week, I think. <laughs> yeah, it helps the people around me <laughs> want to stay at the race. Um. But no, from a TV perspective, I still thought it was very exciting, which there's the driver safety aspect, and that's obviously a concern. Um, Cole Custer, when that whole accident went down, his car was on fire, and he's trying to get out of the car, and I saw a tweet about this. I didn't go back and rewatch the replay, but while he was trying to get out of the car, apparently he almost got hit. So obviously that's a big safety concern that the car is on fire. He's trying to get out so that he doesn't burn <laughs> or get smoke inhalation. Uh, by by um, the way, it was Ricky Stenhouse that approached him. That almost hit him. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, if he gets out, but nobody can see him, there's the danger of him getting hit um, without anybody breaking, which would kill him. Um, so that's a huge concern. So there's got to be something. NASCAR's got to have some sort of... We've got so many in-car cameras and things like that where they've got to have some sort of thing in place where when it when the conditions get to that level before anybody wrecks, we throw the caution. Now I know that's hypocritical of me because I've said, I hate judgment calls with cautions, but I think, uh, these safety issues could have been avoided just by looking at the in-car cameras and saying, Holy crap, they can't see anything. And maybe the thing is, I know that a lot of times the in-car cameras are positioned, um, to where it's not necessarily the driver's sight line. So you might be looking at the in-car camera and 
you know, there's a windshield wiper on the driver's side and the in-car camera is on like where a passenger seat would be in a, in a stock car. And so maybe, maybe the solution is, and maybe they already have it. I don't know. Maybe the solution is you put a, a driver's sight line or, you know, when there's going to be wet weather, all of the drivers wear like a GoPro, get GoPro to sponsor it or something. And NASCAR can have officials viewing their sight lines. And so towards the front of the pack, the, the sight lines weren't that bad. But then when you got back further in the pack, all of those rooster tails coming up, it just made it so, um, you know, Martin Truex and, and Cole Custer and those guys just couldn't see anything. Um, so let me, let, and me, ended let me ask you this. What do you think about... Uh, we had mentioned the Cole Custer, Martin Truex accident, but there was an accident before that that had happened uh, with Kevin Harvick, Bubba Wallace, um, Christopher Bell, and Ryan Blaney. Um, Kevin Harvick was pretty critical of NASCAR when he got out of the car. Um, probably the most angry that I've seen Kevin Harvick in quite some time. Uh, Kevin Harvick said, uh, I've never felt more unsafe in my whole racing career, period, uh, and we have no business racing in the rain. I, I disagree with him. Now, obviously, he feels very unsafe in the car, and that's that's fine, um, and that's obviously a concern, right? Uh, but I think there's again. I think if NASCAR had what I'm talking about um, in place, he wouldn't feel unsafe. So he he's uh, he's right. But they've got to have something where they are um, stopping the race when they feel it's at a level to get the Air Titans out there and, and dry the track. Um, if you haven't completely lost the track yet and the rooster tails aren't ruining the sight line, uh, it was pretty clear that these tires do give enough traction to race on. The only thing that we should be worried about at this point is the sight line um and i think like i mentioned you put some sort of driver line of sight um camera on the car so nascar officials can be monitoring the line of sights and then maybe you put more than one blinky red light on the back of the car i mean that I know that they had mentioned during the broadcast that that blinky red light is twice, it's it's certified and it's twice as bright as a normal brake light in the rain. Um, but it was pretty clear that that wasn't enough. I think I think they said um, it, it was because it was in the window, right? And the, win the back window fogs, so it, it dilutes how bright it actually is. Right. And so... I think maybe there's a solution there where, you know, you've got, I mean, and that thing's pretty small, let's be real. I think, I, I don't think that that is something that's going to prevent a wreck. Um, I think there needs to be something probably bigger or another one of those on every car so that there's multiple different uh, lights. And then um, on top of that, I I really think that, you know, something that would allow us to do this safely and make a judgment call to, okay, let's stop, let's get the Air Titans out there, let's get the track back, and let's go back racing. Um, I think 
figure out a way to to monitor driver sight lines on every single car if you're going to race in the rain. If you're if you can't figure that out, I'm with Kevin Harvick, just don't race in the rain at all. If you can't figure out driver sight lines, then don't do it at all. Um, because it's it's way too much of a risk to potentially kill Cole Custer. I mean, at the end of the day, his life is worth more than uh, entertainment for me at home. But uh, I think that NASCAR can figure this out and can be safe. I mean, shoot, they've figured out how to have cars flip upside down and land on their on their heads without killing anybody. I mean, there's lots of safety um, protocols that they've come up to make these cars safer than ever, and I don't see how they can't figure out drivers' sights, sight lines, and then making a determination that this is this is too risky. Let's red flag it and start the race tomorrow if we can't get the track back. Or if we're over halfway, let's end it. Um, which, again, I know that that's very hypocritical of me because those are all judgment calls. And I said I don't like any judgment calls. But I also think for TV viewership, I was very entertained. Um, I was glued to my seat watching Racing in the Rain um, at a new track. So, so let me, overall... Let me ask you this. Sorry, go ahead. You were, you were going to finish up. Overall... Overall, I think um, racing in the rain over, is, is the, I guess the tagline. Yeah, overall, I think racing on rain for TV viewership, it made it more entertaining than probably racing um, on dry pavement at Circuit of the Americas, in my opinion. Okay, so before I give my opinion, I, I kind of got to thinking here. We should probably break this down into multiple segments. So. I'm going to ask you, again, on on each individual topic, kind of a a subgroup of this, right, of racing in the rain, I want you to kind of lay it out. You kind of did right there in a long answer, but I want to kind of revisit a couple things. So first uh, first thing that we're going to talk about, fan experience in the groove or in the marbles. For racing in the rain? Uh, in the groove as well. I think uh, I think I would have a blast overall fan experience. What do I think? Um, I don't think everybody has the same mindset as me. I'm. <laughs> we're both younger people who would probably enjoy it. The older fans, fair weather fans. I mean, fair weather fans is a term for a reason. So there's probably going to be some fair weather NASCAR fans that just don't show up if it's raining. <laughs> Um, so that could hurt the fan experience, but overall I'm personally in the groove because if I'm at a race and we're going green with rain tires, I'm probably pretty excited about it as opposed to going back to the hotel and just sitting there and doing nothing (laughs) for sure. Uh, second piece of this, um, competition in the groove or in the marbles competition, I think. I think the competition uh, piece of it made it more exciting um, seeing who was it that led all those laps early on in the race? Uh, Austin Sindrick. Austin Sindrick, yes. Seeing Austin Sindrick drive on rain, or not on. A part-time driver, by the way. Yeah. Driving on slicks 
in getting, I believe it was at one point, an eight-second lead on the field on Slicks when um, now I guess a lot of his competition that was up there towards the front of the pack was also on Slicks. But it was very cool to see a driver who, you know, you're like, you know, this guy doesn't win anything. And here he is. Uh, getting an eight-second lead on, I believe, Kyle Busch, who is a it was yep very notable driver in NASCAR, being able yeah. to show his skills. And, um, an eight-second lead on Kyle Busch on slicks when it's raining. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the craziest things I've ever seen. And so, I mean, and then you saw cars kind of slipping all over the place. And the, the other thing that I kind of want to point out for safety, and I know the backstretch was the main concern, or not the backstretch, but those longer stretches are the main concern here. Um, the average lap was 90 miles an hour. These cars are safe enough to where if we get in an accident at 90 miles an hour, it's not a big deal, right? I mean, the safety features that we have on these things... Um, all these turns slow the cars down. The only concern is visibility on these longer stretches. That should be NASCAR's main point of focus. What do we do here? How do we fix this? Which which um, has been anyways. which has been part of the reason why we can't race rain tires on ovals because of the rooster tails. Right. Or I mean, you know, big ovals. Right. That makes sense. You know, you don't want to be running down the Alabama super stretch. Oh my god, can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> with, with rooster tails, it'd be a, a complete nightmare. Um, but anyways, the, the question was, competition-wise, I think it it brought a whole new level of um, competition, and it made decision-making very interesting. To start the race, there wasn't quite any rain, and you know they got to come in and decide if they wanted to put rain tires on. Or well, and, and, uh, and I just I want to explain that for a second because we we talked a little bit about it at Daytona, right? The Daytona Road Course, NASCAR determines the the starting set of tires, so they determined it to be a wet weather start. So teams were required to start on uh, wet weather tires. But then they, they were able to come down just before the start and say, okay, do we want to do we want to put, uh, put slicks on or do we want to stay with our wet weather tires? And there was impending rain, but at the same time, if that rain doesn't come, you're you're chunking these tires and you're tearing them up because they're wet weather, they're they're a different compound, um, and they're not made to run on dry pavement. So right. it was an and added then you strategy. Might- yeah, and then you might have to end up pitting anyways uh, when the when the rain gets there because you've worn out your rain tires right. um, by the time it gets there. So I thought that piece of it was very interesting, and even Jeff Gordon, who obviously ever, everybody knows, even if you're not a fan of NASCAR, you know the name Jeff Gordon. Even Jeff Gordon and Clint Boyer in the booth said, this is the craziest piece of strategy to start a race that they have ever seen in their in their life. <laughs> um, so and, I, and I bet they wish a, they were out there too. Yeah, and from a competition standpoint, I think that kind of answers the question right there. I think those two things where you've got a driver out there on slicks getting an eight-second lead just because he's got experience racing, I believe, in the rain on road courses. But, um, Austin Cindric? Yeah, 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 I believe he's race. 
Yeah, I believe he's raced a couple different times in rain in different series on road courses and um, has raced road courses quite a bit in his career, um, getting an eight-second lead on slicks on Kyle Busch, who, again, is not only a very notable champion of the sport, uh, also a very good road course driver. So um, from a competition standpoint, that was awesome to see. Um, I thought it was very cool um, to just see drivers slightly sliding around, even with the with the rain tires. But like you've mentioned all year, you want to see these guys having to drive cars. I want to see them manhandle these cars, like actually yeah. have to drive them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think from that standpoint, I think it it added that. Uh, it may not have been that way on pavement. It it or on drive pavement. Uh, it may have been. I don't know. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it increased the level of competition. And I know that's another long answer, so I apologize. And we're trying to keep this kind of short here. But I think I, I think, think those are all I think good we're points. doing okay on time. And I, I knew we were going to spend a lot of time on this because it's it is the main topic um, across all NASCAR airwaves and, and social media today. So, um, and I think it's worth talking about, uh, especially as we move forward. Um, the final piece of that that we that you had touched on uh safety of racing in the rain in the groover and the marbles um yeah i mean i think it i'm gonna stay in the groove on this i think that nascar has some of the best engineers in the world which is kind of crazy to say (laughs) um that a sport has the best engineers in the world but you mentioned earlier that uh earlier in the year that NASCAR has kind of put rules in place to slow cars down from getting them to go on their roof. Uh, and the engineers have found ways to get them to go faster within the rules and still end up on their roof. Um, so that being said, those are kind of team or manufacturer engineers that are trying to get a competitive advantage. I also think NASCAR has some of the best safety engineers with the Hans device and, you know, making Safer barriers. helmet. Mm-hmm safer barriers and um you know all sorts of different safety features putting fire built-in fire extinguishers within the cars to you know prevent um any major burns which obviously those still happen we saw that happen at talladega where we had you know some some lung issues with smoke inhalation and things like that but that was kind of a brake issue but for the most part i mean NASCAR doesn't have any deaths. They don't have any major injuries. No. And I shouldn't say any deaths. There hasn't been a single death uh, in any NASCAR series since 2001 when Dale Earnhardt died. Yes. And so, and there, there really haven't been many, I don't know the stat on it, but there haven't been many major injuries. I know, like, Kyle Busch broke a leg or something. and Both of them. Uh, Ron, what's Both that? Both of them. Oh, okay. I didn't know it was both. And then Ryan... I was just going to say, on, on that point, uh, he was actually having issues with uh, his one of his legs this weekend. Uh, from that accident, oh, really? I heard them talking about how like he has some like permanent car- cartilage damage in one of his legs, and he was having issues uh, shifting uh, around Coda. Interesting. I can see that being an issue on a 20-turn road course. Yeah. <laughs> there right. are however many turns it yeah. is. Um, 
But, and then, you know, you had the Ryan Newman injury, and then I'm sure there's some in there that I've missed that you know of that were kind of more serious injuries. But I guess the point is, um, since 2001, there's there have been probably less than two or ten fingers worth of uh, serious injuries, zero deaths. We can figure this out, uh, and we can figure out a way now putting it in NASCAR's hands to make the safe call. I believe they can do it right now with future management or past management. I don't know if they, if they had the right people in place to make the right call and, and kind of stop the race. But, you know, for now, let's find a way to continue to keep it safe. And if we can't figure it out, if we can't figure out driver's sight line, again, I go back to in the in the marbles on that. If we can't figure that out and we're having even if this happens one more time, if a you know, if a Martin Truex Jr. Cold Custer wreck happens one more time in the rain, I say throw it out. We can't you know, we can't figure it out. But until then, I think NASCAR needs to work on all right, how do we determine what these sight lines are like? And then make an educated call to where we throw the yellow, throw the red, get the track dried. Um, if we can, if we can't, then then we move on. But at least we tried uh, to get the race going for the fans at the track and for the fans at home on the scheduled time so that there's no delay. Because I think that's the biggest thing. We talked about it earlier in the year that... Um, if we don't get it at the scheduled time for the fans in this, that are there at the track and for um, the, the fans at home, for the fans at the track, you just ruined probably a lot of them go to the, the race that's in their home state, you know, and if or that's close to their home state. And maybe that's the only race that they go to that year. Um, so they're looking forward to it all year. And then it rains, and then it moves to Monday, and then they can't make it because they got to go back to work on Monday, um, or whatever. Uh, so it ruins that experience for them. I think you got to do whatever you can, especially where we're our average lap time is ninety two, or our average miles per hour is ninety two miles an hour on road courses. I think we can figure it out. God, I was tired of you talking. um okay so i'm gonna work my way back uh from the direction that that you uh you started on um from a safety standpoint um i am going to go in the marbles um i understand that nascar is very new to to rain racing in terms of the cup series um, but they're not necessarily new to it in Xfinity and truck. They've actually been doing it since, uh, 2007, 2008. Um, and it's only been a few years that, that cup has even been eligible to race in the rain. I don't know why that is. Why could you have it in two other series, but not the other one? Um, but that doesn't matter. So just, yeah, just testing it with lower mile per hour vehicles. I would Possibly. Yeah, it's very possible. But I think the argument could also be made that the drivers are less experienced, so you're going to have more wrecks, you know, more wrecks and mistakes. That's that's true, but I would also say less money in yeah. Cup Series, or more money in the Cup Series as well. Mm-hmm. So you're, 
you're ruining a sponsor's day or, uh, you know, those cars are just, mm-hmm. <laughs> they've got way more money into yeah. those cup cars. And so they didn't want to just test it with, all right, let's go and ruin a $500,000 machine mm-hmm. while testing something. Right. Let's uh, let these other underfunded <laughs> yeah. series yeah. of our sport <laughs> underfunded, ruin, exactly. ruin yeah. that. Don't have any money, yeah. but let's go wreck some race cars. <laughs> Yeah, um, we're gonna you get, use you guys as the guinea pigs. I just, but anyway, I just, sorry, I didn't I mean just to cut poked, you off. I just, I just poked holes in your theory like Swiss cheese. <laughs> well, I kind of poked holes in yours. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, as far as the safety goes on it, I understand that NASCAR is learning. Um, I understand that every course is new, um, but you mentioned sight lines a couple times. Um, in my opinion, there is no excuse for not knowing what the drivers are seeing. This is 2021. We have, what, seven or eight in-car cameras, right? I mean, even if you're watching the broadcast, you can see what these drivers are seeing. So I don't want to hear that you don't know what these drivers are experiencing. Now, in NASCAR's defense, when they are checking a track... Typically, the you know whether it's a road course or an oval, they have spotters around the track that are uh, that they're re- relying on, saying, "Hey, um, spotter over in turn two or spotter over in turn 13. What's the track look like? What's the weather look like? Is there any debris over there? Do you see do you see any parts that have fallen off a car?" So that's that's typically how those conversations go. But in my opinion, you got to use a little common sense here too, especially if you can play that on the broadcast and you have the in-car cameras. If you looked at the replays from Martin Truex Jr. and Kevin Harvick yesterday, the you can't see anything. I mean, you can't see anything until those cars are right on top of you. So that's my first issue with it. Um, I can... I can, I guess, work around that to, you know, to a degree. I, I can say, okay, I can, I can get past that. What I can't get past is, um, well, first of all, Kevin Harvick, when, when Kevin Harvick's interview that I saw on Twitter yesterday, it never made TV, um, but it's made its, it's made its way around social media. Um, Kevin Harvick was very critical of what NASCAR was doing, the visibility that, that they were experiencing on the track. And, and, and now Kevin mentions that we have no business racing in the rain. I disagree with that. And I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, but to be doing it the way we were doing it yesterday, I would agree with him. Um, but where, I don't know with, with the safety of it, you you do it once you got to learn from it. And, and, and with Kevin, when he said that, I, I also, I'm like, okay, all right, old man, you know, get off my lawn, right? And I'm like, Kevin's Kevin's just bitching to bitch. And shortly after I saw that is when that wreck happened with um, Truex and Cole Custer and um, Michael McDowell. And at that point, I'm thinking, okay, this has turned very ugly. It's borderline embarrassing in terms of what we're doing out here. Um, obviously the drivers can't see, obviously we need to do something. Okay, cool. 
So NASCAR takes a step back and says, okay, yep, let's go back, look at the look at the film. Yeah, definitely, we, we have an issue, especially on the backstretch. We have a lot of cars. Um, we're going to red flag the event. We're going to take the Air Titans out there. Um, we're going to hopefully get all the standing water off of the backstretch. That seemed to be the biggest biggest issue was the standing water. And, okay, great. You know what? NASCAR's still learning. They put a stop to it. You know, sometimes there are fluke things that happen. Um, they put a stop to it, red flag, go fix the problem, let's get back to racing. Okay, cool, good deal. Um, that happened 20 laps into, or roughly 20 laps into the 68 lap race. Now, I was feeling pretty good. I've been like, okay, I support NASCAR's decision. They went to single file racing, or single file restarts um, to hopefully help mitigate some of the spray that was coming off the cars. Um, and, and everything was working great. We, we saw the track was still wet. These tires are meant for a wet track and not really for rain. That's something I've learned a lot listening to some, some interviews and stuff today is they're more wet weather tires than they are rain tires, right? Because if you have rain pouring down, you're going to have hydroplaning, you're going to have rooster tails. Whereas if it's just wet, then you can still do that, right? The biggest issue I had, and, and where it all went to hell for me, was with, I don't know, 20 laps to go, and the rain is coming down just like it was when those accidents happened. And I'm thinking, okay, all right, so we wrecked seven or eight cars earlier in the race, and we said we learned, but did we learn? Because we're still racing. We're still out on the track. Uh, Kurt Busch narrowly missed Austin Dillon and Kyle Busch um, in turn 15 or 16 or something like that, literally split the gap. And at that point, you knew that the drivers couldn't see on the backstretch again. So my, my issue is we say we learned, but we didn't actually learn. We just kept doing it. Yeah, now I want to cut in here really quick and add one more component to this. Um, and and I, I think that it's the – I know my response to it is that NASCAR is basically the governing body, basically like we would expect if there was something dangerous happening in our country, we would expect the government to jump in and stop the dangerous thing from happening. But – how much of this safety issue do you put on the drivers um, as opposed to NASCAR? Because you can also say, well, Kevin Harvick, if you didn't feel safe, uh, this is a 20-turn racetrack. Uh, why don't you just kind of pull over a little bit, drop to the back of the field, and then just trust that at some point there's going to be a caution and NASCAR is going to do the right thing and fix it, and all of a sudden you don't wreck your race car. Um, you know, when you're coming into turn, let's just say turn, uh, well, Hey, you, you don't, you don't even have to make anything up because I actually disagree with that. Number one, I don't think the drivers should have to be responsible for making that call, right? Because NASCAR proved later in the race that they were not responsible enough to make that call until we had multiple cars spinning out. We had multiple. They did. What they did, but my yeah. counter argument to that is going to be that how many drivers at Talladega drop to the back of the pack because it's not safe to be 
racing in the middle of the pack, right? They make a decision, okay, I'm going to drop to the back and preserve my race car until the big one happens. And then, you know, when it gets later in the race, I'm going to work my way to the front. Um, if they if they want, if he doesn't feel safe and he thinks that somebody's going to wreck or he doesn't trust that NASCAR is going to make the right call because of safety, how much of that do you put on him? I'm going to say... Again, I I personally think it's not on the drivers. I agree with you. I think that's NASCAR's call to make, but I just wanted to throw that in there. How much of it do you put on there? I think I think 10% of that is the driver's call. You know, does he come into turn 18? Just throwing that out there. I don't know if turn 18 is a slow turn or a fast turn. Uh, but if you're coming into turn 18 and you're going 60 miles an hour, and you can easily let everybody by without any visibility issues because you're not on a long straightaway where there's rooster tails and nobody can see you. Um, do you come in there and say, okay, I'm gonna drop to the back of the pack. Uh, my life is worth more than uh, you know than what's going on here. And if they have to make that call, then obviously NASCAR should already be stopping. Right. But does he does he finish the race? Um, you know, does he does he have a better day without wrecking race cars if he makes that call and says, "I don't feel safe. I'm just going to drop to the back and kind of run some laps here and let everybody else wreck their shit." Yeah, but I think it's different because on a road course, you can't just make up positions. You know, like you can at Talladega, right? If you want to drop to the back at Talladega, you can most likely be up to the front in two or three laps. If you drop back on a road course, there's a pretty good chance that you're not going to make it back up to the front. And I, I just, I don't think that's, that in my opinion is not the driver's responsibility. That is NASCAR's responsibility as a sanctioning body to keep drivers safe, in my opinion. Okay, well, I'm going to go to another sport here then. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go to, to, just to kind of make another uh, point. So I'm going to go to basketball where you saw it, you know, for the last 10 years where... Uh, LeBron will sit out of a game because he doesn't want to risk injury because it's such a long season. Um, you know, to Kevin to Kevin Harvick's uh, point, if he doesn't feel safe racing, fall to the back. Who cares about this race? He's got 30, uh, 35 other races, and it's probably not going to rain at another road course. If he thinks he can win a road course, he's going to be at Watkins Glen. He's going to be at what? Sonoma. He's going to be at you know, all these other road courses that maybe he can be up there and, and get points. And I know that I don't want to kind of, I don't want to say, okay, it's a long season. You could, you can afford to lose. You can afford to go to the back for one race. Um, because that's not, how, that's not how NASCAR has always been, right? It's always go as fast as you can for as long as you can to win. And then on those super speedway tracks, okay, let's, make some risk management decisions. And I think that's what NASCAR is about is risk management. Um, so if he doesn't feel safe and he doesn't, and NASCAR is not doing anything to make him feel safer, why is he not moving to the back instead? He's, you know, yeah, I, he's, I just don't think you can place that on the driver. So that's again, I, again, I've, I've already said that it, I think about 90% of it is on NASCAR. If not more, they should have made the call, right? Right. we, We've we've both we both agree that they should have made the call, but I don't think he has the right to go out and that he didn't feel safe if he's gonna if he's gonna be racing hard in the middle of it. 
If he drops back and then says, I didn't feel safe, and then wrecked, holy shit. Like, NASCAR looks really dumb now. The guy that dropped all the way to the back of the field that's trying to be safe wrecked himself because the conditions are so bad. But he didn't do anything to better himself, so there's got to be some blame on him. I and I'd say I disagree. 10%. I don't think you put any blame on the driver. I, I don't think you can do that. I mean, the driver is out there doing what they can. I mean, I guess if you want to drop to the back, like, like if you're if you're legitimately concerned for your life, which it made it he made it seem like he was. Right. He said that I, I've I think, never felt yeah. less or yeah. I've never felt less safe than this in my right. racing career. Right. Um, and if you if you feel that way, which I have to imagine, there's been a time where at Talladega or Daytona, he thought he was going to die. He <laughs> like, he um, <laughs> he wrecked uh, a lot of cars one year at Talladega on purpose. Um, so so in in some areas, Kevin Harvick probably shouldn't talk, but um, but I just don't know that you can like NASCAR. NASCAR as a sanctioning body has to provide a safe environment. I mean, we, we talk about safety, right? You talk about how we haven't lost any drivers since 2001, right? NASCAR has focused so much on safety. And then, I, th- like I said, I understand that mistakes are going to happen. But the issue that I had the most with, or the thing that I had the most issue with is we didn't learn from our mistakes and and that's we we talk about some of the inconsistencies of NASCAR and i think that was a prime example of we literally just did this 30 laps ago and how did it end we ended up with seven or eight cars getting wrecked Cole Custer piling into the back of Martin Truex Jr at probably about 40 to 50 miles an hour faster than what Truex was going um Bubba Wallace piling into the back of um, Kevin Harvick. We couldn't see that angle, but it was probably a very similar wreck um, based on the uh, in-car camera that Kevin Harvick uh, Kevin Harvick had, um, which shame on Fox for not providing any better angles than that. So um, that's a whole other topic. But um, I just think that from a safety aspect, um, NASCAR blew it on the latest... On the uh, on the final caution and red flag, um, yes, they finally stopped it, but we we let it go way too long, um, way way too long, especially after what we learned earlier in the race. Yeah, and I know you've got to get to some other points, yep. but I I guess one way that I want to look at it um, that actually is on your side as well, because um, I'm trying to ride both sides of the fence here and 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 play devil's advocate. Uh, but for that, your that side, that sounds of it, uncomfortable, by the way. <laughs> but for for your uh, for your point, if I put it in my perspective, where my employer <laughs> says go put your life online or go continue working uh, where you feel unsafe, um, you know, I'd probably be equally as pissed off as Kevin Harvick was at the end of the day. Um, because I probably still still need my job and I'll probably still continue to do it. And maybe he loses sponsorship or maybe his team, Kevin Harvick's not going to lose his ride um, over drop into the back because he felt scared. But Bold prediction, um, bold prediction right in the middle of this, Kevin Harvick's done after this year. Yeah. Yep, bold prediction. 
We'll see what happens. I I can see that. I can see that <laughs> being his last year. Um, but yeah, I guess that to to make your point, um, you know, if my employer is asking me to put my life on the line, but with them being in NASCAR at the same point, I mean, they put their they put their life on the line, even though we don't have any deaths since two thousand one. They do put their life on the line every single week for the for the most part. Uh, they probably aren't putting their life on the line at like Martinsville and things like that. But um, some of these bigger tracks, they they are putting their life on the line, and so it's a little bit different than me sitting at a desk writing mortgages. Um, but if my employer is asking me to put my life on the line, I might be a little frustrated, um, and they're not trying to give me safe work in, a safe work environment. Uh, I, I, so. I will I will agree, uh, and maybe you didn't say this, but I I guess I disagree that Kevin Harvick has done anything else more unsafe in NASCAR. They race at Daytona and Talladega twice a year. <laughs> so um, while I understand that you can't see, um, that is one straightaway going 190 miles an hour. I know there's a motion into it, right, or 180 miles an hour. So... Um, Part of me, like I mentioned in that, when I previously said it was Kevin Harvick was like, you know, Clint Eastwood, uh, Grant Torino, like, get off my lawn, right? Um, Kevin Harvick's been in NASCAR for 20 years, you know, and um, he's seen it all. He's having a bad year. I know there's emotion into it, but, um, you know, from a safety aspect, NASCAR has to do better um, and, and figure out what they're going to do moving forward um, from a safety aspect. Now... Yeah, and I think we both agree on yeah. that. So I want to move on. We have a we have a lot to cover still. Competition standpoint. Um, in the groove, a thousand percent. I was so entertained by that race on um, on Sunday that it was it like like we mentioned, from a safety aspect, it was painful to see. You didn't want it to turn into an embarrassment. You didn't want it to be a controversial event where, you know, you have cars wrecking or, you know, um, uh, people getting hurt, but from a competition standpoint, we talk about the strategy. We talk about the the overall racing. Hundred um, percent in the groove. That was an awesome race. Uh, probably one of my favorite of the favorites of the year. Um, and, and but unfortunately, I have no doubt that the rain played into it. Um, I don't know that we would have seen that race um, on a dry racetrack. So. That brings me to my second point, that I'm not sure Coda is set up for NASCAR. Now, there is um, there is some hope with the next-gen car next year. Uh, they are talking about that that is set up more for road course racing um, in terms of the steering box and the sequential shifter. Um, but as it stands right now, I'm not sure Coda is a very good racetrack for NASCAR. So... We still don't even know that Coda is going to be back on the schedule next year. Um, I hope it is. Um, I would like to go check it out. And I think with the next-gen car, from, from what people in the industry are saying, I think it will work out better with the next-gen. But um, people talk about how big, bulky stock cars are not supposed to be on a road course. That's kind of the appeal to it is it makes it exciting, it makes drivers uncomfortable, makes the cars uncomfortable. Um, but, uh, overall Coda is not a stock car racetrack. It's an open wheel racetrack for formula one and IndyCar. Um, and, and NASCAR has gotten their chance at Coda. So, 
Uh, competition standpoint, though, 100% in the groove. Um, at least hope hope we go back there next year, get some dry pavement, get a new car out on the racetrack. Yeah, I'd like to be able to get a dry racetrack and then compare it yep. and have this conversation again. I think it's only fair to Coda too, right? I mean, you can't can't really compare a rain race and say, yeah, you know, that didn't work. Let's throw it in the trash. So. Yeah, and I thought it did work. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it it did work in it did work in the rain. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I think you go back and compare like the truck race and the Xfinity race, where you know they won by eight nine seconds. You know, I think that's where some of that skepticism comes from. Of will this work with a dry race track? So, yeah, but at the end of the day, I also think and. I, very quick, I want to move on from this, but at the end of the day, I also think, you know, you had people, you had, um, <laughs> cup drivers driving in those races as well, yep. um, to where that just changes the level of competition. I mean, how many times have we seen Kyle Busch go down to the Xfinity series and win by 10 seconds at right. an oval, right. you know, right. like that just, that's bad for the sport, but I mean, it's their first time racing there. So you got to Got to let them get a little bit of practice so that the the main series can mm-hmm. can be can do well. Yeah. So, uh, and I think that that leads into our, our or my last uh, piece of this fan experience. Hundred um, percent in the groove on that as well. I mean, whether it's raining or the sun is shining, I think um, from some of the views I saw both on social media. And on TV, and and even from like Zach and Eric, the layout of Coda actually bodes well for fan experience, even in person. Like road courses are hard to watch in person. I've been at Watkins Glen, and I sat in the S's, and you couldn't see anything but the S's, um, except for the TV screen. Or I'm sorry, the uh, fan vision like TV screen that you had in your hand. So uh, from some of the stuff I saw from Coda, I think it actually lends itself to a good fan experience. Um, all around, but then when you throw racing in the rain into it, which that's what we're talking about, I would personally love to be at a race in the rain. I think I think it really showcases the talent of what these drivers have to go through. Um, and I and I hope when these drivers are upset about this weekend that they don't look at racing in the rain as a whole. I think I think we can all agree there's improvements that have to be made, but racing in the rain. 100% should be on the table, right? If you're going to be a champion of the sport and you're going to be out there, you know, beating your your competition week to week, you should have to be able to endure anything that comes your way, and that includes racing in the rain, right? So, fan experience, um, hell yeah, I'm in. Like, I a couple years ago when I went to the Roval, I'm like, I hope it rains. I think this would be awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I mean we're we're talking the best drivers in the world, so I think you know your point is uh, is pretty valid. Yeah. Like you, if you're going to be a champion of the sport, um, Kevin Harvick, you should you should be driving in the yeah. rain. Yeah, Ke- um, Kevin, Har- now, Kevin Harvick's had a frustrating season. I get it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Now the safety aspect is a is a different story. Yep. Yeah. Now, we talk about the best drivers in the world. Now we head to Charlotte this weekend with the uh, 550 horsepower and high down first package. But don't get me started on that. We're having a good episode so far. <laughs> yeah, we'll be we'll be two and a half hours in by the time you get done with that. <laughs> right, exactly. All right, well, I think we touched on racing in the rain long enough. Um, 
I think everybody has an opinion on it. Um, I think that we have some work to do. Um, I think we can both agree that we have some work to do, but it should remain a part of the sport. Um, I think it's going. I think it's going to be interesting to see how they incorporate that into ovals. Um, maybe that is the right move. Maybe it's not. They're really going to have to try um, to mitigate the spray off of these cars. Um, so that will be interesting to see where that goes. Standing water, not okay. Wet racetrack, we can deal with. I think is is a good baseline to uh, to run with on that one. Yeah, and uh, why don't you go first on the second topic, whatever the second <laughs> topic is? All right. Well, we're kind of piggybacking off of the uh, part of the first topic. Um, Bubba Wallace involved in the lap 19 crash with Christopher Bell and Kevin Harvick. Uh, he declined to give an interview uh, and instead uh, let his crew chief give the interview to Fox Sports uh, on Sunday. And so this is our second topic for In the Groove or In the Marbles. Um, I have a lot to say on this one. Uh, Bubba Wallace, uh, well, first of all, let me lay it out in the marbles, okay? Bubba Wallace, grow up, okay? You, um, you were in a wreck, you were upset, I get that, um, but you... You were the only driver, from what I remember, this past Sunday, to not give an interview during this wreck. Now, we've seen plenty of drivers not give interviews in the past. You know, Kyle Busch. Um, well, Kyle Busch immediately comes to mind, but I, I know there's been other drivers. Kyle Busch has been most famous for it because he's been uh, put in those positions. He's been upset. Um, I assume Kurt Busch Kurt as well. Bush. There we go. Okay. The Bush brothers. All right. Thank you. Thanks for the help. Um, so I get, even if you don't even name names, I get that there's certain instances when you're going to have just a horrible day. You don't want to give an interview. Um, you've just had enough of it. But the problem I have is Bubba Wallace is creating this brand and creating this movement around himself that has attracted sponsors, it's attracted fans, um, and attracted television, and he runs off to his holler and pouts like a child, is where I have an issue with that. And he lets his crew chief explain what happens. His crew chief wasn't driving the car, Bubba Wallace was driving the car. And I don't care if you can't see or not, right? Kevin Harvick, you know, and, and I guess I, I should be fair, Kevin Harvick gave an interview on social media. He actually did not do any television interviews. I don't know if that was um, by intention, um, but at least there was an interview out there with Kevin Harvick. So the thing with Bubba is, though, he has built this fan base and this, this movement around him, which is great for the sport. Um, he has had a trying year. Um, he, he has one top 15 finish that happened last year or last week. He drives for probably the most famous car owner in the sport, in Michael Jordan, and of course, Denny Hamlin. And he's obviously brought a new fan base and an inclusiveness to the sport of NASCAR. Now, when you tune in to the sport and you 
watch a race and, and you want to tune in and watch your driver, personally, I don't want to see somebody pouting on TV, pouting or, or not giving an interview because they had their feelings hurt on Sunday. There was plenty of drivers that had a bad day on Sunday and I just think it's a really bad look for Bubba Wallace. Um, he has sponsors that are hoping to get some TV time, hoping to get an explanation. Um, and, and to put your crew chief out there, and, and I'm, I'm sure Fox went to his crew chief and said, hey, can we get an interview? You know, we want to know, you know, what happened, but is Bubba okay, you know, whatever. We know Bubba's okay. Bubba's back in his holler crying, from what I'm seeing, and he should be out there giving an interview for his sponsors, his fans, and and his team after a long day. So, 100% in the marbles, Bubba, you are an icon in NASCAR, whether you like it or not. And you are acting like a spoiled brat when it comes to wrecking in, in, in one of these races. So, Bubba Wallace, grow up in the marbles. That's what I have to say about that. I agree with you. I'm in the marbles on it. Um, mostly because as a driver of the sport, you're not only a driver, you're a face. Uh, you're the face for your team. You're... Not necessarily a salesperson in every in every aspect, but um, I look at it like basically you are the president of the team. Uh, not literally, but whenever something big happens, if you win, you're the face. If you lose or if something bad happens, you're the face. You're the face of adversity, right? Yes. yes. And you should be re you should be able to calm yourself down, react in a uh, politi politically correct manner, even if you're frustrated, and then give some sponsor plugs because these people pay money to Ryan Vargas hit it on the hit the nail on the head. These sponsors don't care about a sticker on the car. <laughs> and if you're not out there mentioning them, even if it's, Hey, we had a really fast sponsor plug, uh, Toyota today. Uh, you're giving them a plug. You're giving them more than that sticker on the car. You're giving them a very popular athlete. Um, giving them brand recognition. Uh, the the route that Bubba Wallace could have taken with this was, man, hate to be out of the race, headed back to the hotel, going to order me some DoorDash and, and get over this race. Boom. Done. Right. 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 Even though that's not how he felt. Mm -hmm. And uh, he could have he been very frustrated with it. Um, Which is fine. Up until that point, you know, he could have said, uh, you know, I'm very frustrated with NASCAR's decision on this, um, blah, blah, blah. And then your plug, uh, going back to the hotel, I'm going to order some DoorDash and forget about it. And hopefully some, we don't race some, the rain ever again. Some McDonald's from DoorDash. And I want to say, what other sponsors does he have? And go play some DraftKings. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Yep, I'm yep. gonna go. There's, uh, there's. I think there was uh, NBA playoffs yep. on that night. And he could have. I'm going back to set an NBA DraftKings yep. lineup. 
uh, because my owner is Michael Jordan, yep. and he told me who to bet on. And and, like, and update there you go. And update my root insurance, Bubba. I just did your job <laughs> for you. <laughs> like <laughs> now, I know emotions are yeah. clearly in play in any sport, um, but like I said, you don't go to the NFL uh, and see a head coach declining an interview after a loss. You don't go to any level of football or baseball. You don't see managers declining interviews after a loss or after something where they're extremely frustrated about. They do their job. It's part of their job description to go out there and be the face of the franchise or the face of the organization or the face of the team in this example. Um, And he just refused to do it. And then that's basically like... Um, that's basically like Matt Patricia for the Lions saying, sorry, not going to interview today. Go talk to the GM or Martha Ford. Uh, how do you think Martha Ford or the GM are going to react to that? (laughs) Right. They're going to be like, why the hell am I doing your job? You're fired. Bye. (laughs) And, And, uh, so basically I guess at the end of the day, um, I think he let his emotions get the get the best of him, which I'm kind of a fan of, honestly, in some situations. Like, I like some of Kyle Bush's interviews where he's just an asshole to the interviewer. Um, I like that, but I don't like when Kyle Bush refuses um, interviews. I just think it's, you're not doing your job. You're not doing your sponsors any justice. Um and I've said before that I don't think it's fair to the interviewer to not accept an interview, and I don't think it's fair to the interviewer to be an asshole to the interviewer either. Um, so real quick, here's but I like he, the personnel. Here's where I have a have a difference of opinion between Kyle Bush and Bubba Wallace. We have a lot of new fans that are tuning into this sport because of Bubba Wallace. It's been what less than a year since this. Um, movement around Bubba Wallace has happened and we, we brought a, a ton of new fans into the sport um, and, and Bubba Wallace is an icon he is a role model for um, many African American uh, uh, viewers as well as, as non-African American viewers um, but that is the, the base that he has brought in and he is somebody that is he has a responsibility to carry this sport into a new stage of its of its of its existence in my opinion and he he needs to grow up um bubba has been in this sport for quite a while now and he is very immature when it comes to this so I'll let you comment comment on that. I'm gonna look up how old Bubba Wallace is. Yeah, no, and I I agree with you. I think uh, I I don't think that it's necessarily a hundred percent his responsibility to keep those viewers. It's his responsibility to bring them, um, and it's his responsibility to do his job and stay in front of them um, and be a good representative of the sport for any anybody that he brings in 
but I think it's also the responsibility of every other driver in the sport mm-hmm. as well right. um, to keep those viewers that Bubba's bringing in that are unique viewers um, that you don't normally see in NASCAR. Right. So I agree with you and disagree with you in the same sense. I don't. I don't think it's a hundred percent on Bubba to keep those those drivers and or I'm sorry those fans engaged. I think it's also a responsibility of everybody else, every other driver. Uh, just for the good of the sport, to uh, to do things that entertain the new fans to the sport. Yeah. So. Uh, Bubba Wallace is 27 years old, so about about our age. Um, you know, I like to think that I would have handled that differently, and I think you probably would have too. Um, just you know, you got to come up with a composed answer, especially when you have sponsors that are, that are paying millions and millions of dollars. Um, to, to get you on TV. I think if, if I would have been in that position, though, um, if I were Mike Wheeler, his crew chief, I probably would have declined that interview as him, though, right? Because that's not Mike's job. Mike's job is not to go on and say, hey, my driver said, nope, I'm not doing an interview, right? I mean, that, in all honesty, that kind of puts Bubba in a bad light alone, right? Like, if the crew chief comes on and says, hey, well, and, and to be fair, Fox said, you know, Bubba Wallace declined an interview, but we have Mike Wheeler here, his crew chief. Um, it's just kind of an awkward, like, position to be in, you know? So. Yeah. And, I mean, I'll say, like, just comparing Bubba's job to my job, like, there's there's a lot of phone calls that I don't like mm-hmm. to take. But you have but you to gotta take, take them. them. And yeah. you... It, it's it's not necessarily always a you know it's not necessarily like something that is like bad about the client or the realtor or whatever it's just like you know I'm not in a position to take this call right now mm-hmm. I'm very busy uh, you know but I got to take this call and it doesn't matter if Bubba was frustrated his his uh, response needs to be I got to take this interview right. Um, his, so, his responsibility is his sponsors and his brand, in my opinion, right now. Right. Yep. He's Absolutely. he's at a heightened um, exposure level where he's already being criticized for his results. Um, but he, uh, you know, he, he needs to make sure he's doing everything right. I know the results aren't there, but this does not make it any better. I Clark Clark just held up, I think, an empty wine bottle. Uh, this is my third glass of Freak Show, which means I've probably got about one glass left in this bottle. There's usually about four glasses of wine per wine bottle. So our time's limited or shit's going to get crazy. <laughs> no, I'm good. I can handle my wine. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else to touch on with Bubba Wallace? No, just disappointed in the fact that he didn't show up for the interview and he can't show up in a top 15 yeah. either. How long do you give Bubba Wallace before he, um, before they may need to start looking for another driver for that twenty-three? Honestly, I think Bubba Wallace. You touched on it early in the season. You said that there's going to be a lot of struggles with the twenty-three eleven team just because it's a new team. I think Bubba's fine. Um, I think that it may be just a new team issue that he's got because we didn't see. Well. Maybe we did. I don't know. You'd you'd know better than I do. We didn't see no top fifteen issues out of Bubba um, before, 
and we're we're over halfway through the season, and we've got one top fifteen, which is, geez, man, that's uh, that's like almost underfunded team level, and I don't think they're very underfunded. Pretty um, pretty dismal with, for a fifth uh, JGR car right now. Right. So, um, I don't think it's time yet. You know, I think Bubba's fine. I think Bubba deserves probably another two or three years, honestly, um, for that team. Because with a lot of things, my brother took over a football program, and the, the, the mark is always three years. And I said Mark. My brother's name is Mark. Um, <laughs> I didn't do that on purpose, mm-hmm. no pun intended. The mark is always year sure. three. Mm-hmm. You want You want to be successful in year three. And so... While Bubba has no top 15s, what else is he experiencing? And you can't come out and publicly just blame, other, point the fingers at other people, but does he have the right pieces in place around him? It's not just a driver that makes this happen on, um, on Sundays and on occasion Saturday nights. It's not just the driver that makes this happen. Um, and in fact, John Gordon, one of the best philosophy guys uh, on the planet will tell you that you've got to put the right butts in the right seats within any organization for it to be successful. And maybe he doesn't have the right pit crew. Maybe he doesn't have the right crew chief. Maybe he doesn't have the right sponsors. Maybe he doesn't, there's a lot of things that could be affecting. Maybe he doesn't have the right owners. Maybe Denny Hamilton and and Michael Jordan aren't the right owners (laughs) or whatever. Uh, I would assume that's not the case, but there's a lot of things that we've talked about on the last 18 episodes or whatever we're on now um, that go into more, this. More than I thought we'd ever be on. <laughs> that we, Yeah, that we can't just can Bubba Wallace because he's got one top 15. There, there could be something else that's going on there, and they've got to look at that internally over the course of a couple of years, and if it's the same common denominator, can't get a top 15, uh, while we changed all of the other denominators, then uh, then it's time to move on. Yeah, I, um, you know, at the risk of being one of those NASCAR fans that jumps to conclusions and, you know, uh, wants to move on too quick, um, I actually give Bubba through the 2022 season. Um, if he can't put together at least some decent runs by then, I think it may be time to move on from Bubba Wallace. So. Yeah, so you're saying through year two? Yes. Yep. I'd, I'd agree with that, and I'm going to use the analogy of my brother's football team again. Um, first year, one and eight. Right. Lost to, a, lost to a team who was on like a 56-game conference losing streak. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to name any names, but in the – and I'm again. I'm saying my brother did that, but this is a team effort. I was even. I was a part of that coaching staff. It's not just him, but he's the Loser. face. Bubba, <laughs> he is the face. Right. Like Bubba yeah. is the face yep. of this. Right. Um, so one and eight lost to a team that you know mm-hmm. had hadn't beat a conference team, and I believe it was over five years. And then um, year two, uh, you know, goes through COVID through a very adverse season with COVID and all the, the complications that come around COVID uh, with a very, very young team, you know, a lot of sophomores and freshmen on the team 
goes four and four. Now, if I'm the if I'm the AD and he goes one and eight and one and eight, uh, does the AD say okay, it's time to move on from this guy? But after going four and four and winning a playoff game, it's like okay, we've made some progress. So right. what they need to look at is okay, is Bubba making progress? Uh, do we have the and if he is making progress, do we have the right people around him, or is it? Um, or do we need to change some more pieces here so that we do have the right people around him so, to where he can start getting some top ten, some wins, some top yeah. fives, whatever it is. Um, as long as he as long as he makes progress next year and is com- more competitive than he is this year, I say they give him year three. And if he can't get like a win or a top five or something like that in year three, that's where I say. All right, you know, and then if he doesn't show up to interviews and stuff, like, yeah. All right, let's cut the cord. Yeah, um, <laughs> get somebody else in there. Yeah, and I, I think I'd be more accepting of it too if he was um, cranking off top tens or even top fifteens on a regular basis. We, we understand this is a new team, but you look at like Daniel Suarez, who has had a pretty good year with uh, Team Trackhouse already to start the year. Um, I would be more comfortable if Bubba was. Um, getting those top tens uh, to start the year. So he has the experience. I know the team doesn't, but the team has a, a pretty heavy alliance with Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, so I hope I hope Bubba can um, hopefully correct that here very shortly. <laughs> wow. Yep. Sea salt and pepper. Wow. Yep. Huh. Classy bitch over there. Viewers, I'm gonna have a lot of editing to do on this podcast, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of swear, viewers, a lot of swear words. Mind the chomping. <laughs> yeah, right. Don't worry about Clark. You know, for our listeners out there, there's actually nothing more. This sounds like an advertisement for our listeners out there. There is nothing more that I don't mm. enjoy than somebody chomping on something. Actually, I'm looking at it. the um, absolutely audio track here. And you're going to be able to hear it in my headphones, but it's not showing up on the audio track, so. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we hear two different things uh, as we as we go through this, so. Um, all right, well, cool. We, uh, we just finished up that Bubba Wallace topic. Uh, let's jump into our third and final topic of In the Groover in the Marbles. Well, Clark, we talked about this week being a big week for racing. Um, we typically have Monaco on uh, the Monaco Grand Prix on Saturday, followed by the Indy 500, and then topped off with the Coca-Cola 600. Um, this week, of course, we only have the Indy 500 and the Coca-Cola 600. Uh, the Monaco Grand Prix was this uh, this weekend uh, that that just passed us here. So uh, our third topic revolves around the Coca-Cola 600. Uh, it is the longest race of the NASCAR season, uh, known as one of the crown jewels of the sport, um, one of the big wins that you always want to get as a NASCAR driver uh, because of its endurance and, and uh, how difficult it is to win it um, with it being an, an endurance race. So Coca-Cola 600 uh, and the, uh, uh, the mileage and the crown jewel aspect around it uh, um, in the groove in the or groove. in the marbles on this. Because, um, <laughs> because I think it's something that's unique that's within the sport. Uh, I'm guessing I know your opinion on this, and it's going to be that it's too long. 
Um, but I and I think that I probably agree with you with running the package that we're going to be running uh, this week. Um, but if and I'm sure NASCAR does the uh, does run this package for a reason, probably because that car is a little bit easier to drive, and with it being a 600 mile race. Um, that makes it a little bit easier on them and it makes it less of an endurance race. I think if we run the other package, um, I think I'm in the groove on it. Um, I know. Well, we're, we're um, not running that package though. So what do you think? With, with this package, what do you think? Just I'll Coca-Cola say 600. If we run the other package where it's good racing, we've seen, we've proven that it's good racing, um, then I'm all for it. Or the other piece of that is if we race it, if we do a 600-mile race at a different racetrack, <clears throat> hint, hint, a restrictor plate track, uh, I would be all for that as well. But I guess I guess my answer is going to be in the marbles. I'm going to change that because you asked me with this package, the Coke 600. In general, I freaking love the idea of it. I, I think it's awesome to be at a 600-mile race. Uh, it gives me an extra 100 miles than a lot of racetracks to get more drunk um, and watch more racing. But... <laughs> With this package, I think you're going to see a 600-mile very boring race on the same weekend as a as the Indy 500, which is not going to be boring. <laughs> um, so, for that reason, I'm going to say in the marbles. If we run a better package to where it's competitive racing the entire time, uh, all for it. But three years ago... Kyle Busch, and I don't know what package we were running then, you would know, in 2018. I think we were um, running the low downforce package. So that would actually... I think it's the last year that we ran the low That downforce would actually, package. you know, not work well for my point. Uh, because in 2018, Kyle Busch led... <laughs> <laughs> All but like 20 laps or something like that of a over 400 lap race. Won every single stage, scored 70 points. Uh, nobody wants to see that. But maybe NASCAR that year ran a different package for this race because it's such an endurance race. I don't know. I don't know if you, is that something that you're looking up right now? Um, I was looking up race results um, okay. for the past three Coca-Cola 600s. Yeah. So, so, anyways. That's the only thing I was looking um, at. I think in this instance, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe the racing ends up being really exciting. I, I doubt that's the case. But um, in this instance, 600 miles of boring racing <laughs> is in the marbles. If we can get 600 miles of 
Talladega or Daytona racing, or even um, just good racing here, then I'm all for it. Um, so I'm a little bit divided on this. Um, I think that NASCAR needs to have crown jewel events. Um, it to have the prestige around the events. You know, you have the Daytona 500, you have the Coca-Cola 600, you have the Southern 500. Um, I'm trying to think, that's really only the big ones, right? Um, well, Brickyard 400, uh, that's going to a road course this year, though. Um, so I understand the need for these crown jewel events. You oh, the, Like the drivers want to go in there and they want to win these events. They want to say, yep, I won the Daytona 500, or yep, I won the Coca-Cola 600. But the time has passed to have a 600-mile race. Way, way, way too long of a race. Um, I could not be looking less forward to the Coca-Cola 600 this weekend. Um, so, Clark, I want to give you a couple stats here. I came prepared with some stats on the Coca-Cola 600. So, what do you want me to do? You want me to start with 2020 uh, or start with 2018? Let's start with I just did the last three years. All right, 2018. So, first of all, Coca-Cola 600, 600 miles, 400 laps. Um, typically, we see 400-mile races. We see 500-mile races. Um, this is the longest race in NASCAR. We talk about... Um, where society is with uh, shorter attention spans and in wanting to have things right now, right? We want right now, we want excitement. A 600 mile race, 400 miles or 400 laps is not the way to do it. I don't really care if it's a crown jewel event or not. The, the racing is not conducive to attracting new fans or keeping new fans. So Clark, I'm gonna go through the last three years, okay? Um, runtime, just just the the time of the race. Okay, I don't. We're not talking about cautions. We're not talking about margin of victory. Not talking about any of that. Okay. So, in 2018, which was with the lower downforce package, and and you had mentioned that right with the lower downforce package, maybe it'd be a little more exciting. 2018, the total race time was four hours and 23 minutes. Okay. 2019. Yeah, that was 18. Did I say 2019 or 2018? The first one is 2018. Okay. Second time is 2019. You ready for this? Four hours and 50. Five, five zero. Four hours, five zero minutes for the race time of 2019. And finally, for 2020, four hours and 29 minutes. That is way, way, way too long for any professional sporting event these days. Um, if it were up to me, I'd make the Coca-Cola 600 probably a, I'd go 500 miles, and then as we move through the season, I'd look to make every other race no longer than 300 miles. Um, and, and I would actually say that includes the super speedways, Talladega and Daytona. Um, you know, I, I could actually go Talladega and Daytona 400 miles. I'd accept that. I'd accept some of the 500 mile races to go 400 miles, but for the runtime of a professional sporting event to be four plus hours or even over four and a half hours, that is, <laughs> you can't have that in these, in this day and age. I don't give a crap how 
like prestigious the event is, it you can't do that. And and in 2020, there was only eight cautions for 52 laps, with 20 lead changes, uh, 2,600 green flag passes, and then in 2019, still running this high downforce, uh, low horsepower package, there was 16 cautions for 80 laps, 30 lead changes and 3,900 green flag passes. That green flag passes include every pass made throughout the field um, at any time under green flag conditions. So um, a lot of that happens on restarts. Well, um, but, but we, we kind of we, we do need to get into all those stats. But, <laughs> to, yeah. uh, to go back to when we were at Talladega, there was 9,000 passes at that race. Uh, you just said what three thousand passes yep. at that race, or in the over the last three races? Yeah. Uh, the most passes in a Coca Cola six hundred was thirty nine hundred in twenty nineteen, and and Talladega, you are not exaggerating. Um, there was actually nine thousand seven hundred thirty eight green flag passes, um, in that Talladega race that we went to. And that entire race lasted three hours. Yeah, and 26 I agree to to your point of uh, reducing the time. I mean, um, you see baseball doing it. Baseball just literally changed their ball <laughs> this year. Um, I think to reduce. I don't think they came out and said that it was. Maybe they did, uh, but I think it was to reduce uh, the time of their games like that's always been a big concern for baseball is that it just takes too long nobody really wants to pay attention until the ninth inning anyways and if it's competitive in the ninth inning then we'll watch and i i think that is somewhat similar to racing in the aspect of um a lot of casual fans don't really want to watch the first 400 miles but they want to watch the last 100 um can you imagine being a casual fan, just kind of tuning in, and you're and you and you're like, "Holy cow! Like this race is four is, hours." Is this and 50 always minutes? on? Um, like my god, <laughs> Memorial Weekend. So they just do it to have a crown jewel that's yes. competing with the Indy Five Hundred. That's the only reason they do it. Yep. Yeah, and and honestly, I think this is a good spot for you to come in as a casual fan and say say your or give your opinion on this because. This is, I don't know, it's it's just a, I don't know, it's something that um, is Yeah, quite I think NASCAR, and at the Coca -Cola I've said several before. times in business that, like, you should always be competing, but I think NASCAR should almost take a, a different approach to this and say, let's not try to compete with the Indy 500 anymore, and let, yeah, exactly, you're going to have 300, and you're, not going you're going to, to have... <laughs> 0.1% of the American population at a racetrack when it's not COVID season. Um, and I'm guessing those 350,000 people uh, are going to be a good chunk of the race fans in America. I, I, I don't know how many race fans there are in America, yep. but... Uh, if it's 2% of the population and you've got 0.1% of the population at a race track for the Indy 500, how are your ratings going to look? How are your butts in the seat going to look? Uh, do you just continue to right. co try to compete with them or do you move on? Um, 
I don't know. Again, I disagree right. with your point of a 300-mile race because I would love a 600-mile race at Talladega. I would... I know, but you did well, say, but like, even Talladega uh, and Daytona and, and Talladega, you would you would want to see 400 miles instead of 500. I, I don't think you get rid of the Daytona 500. I don't think you get rid of... But five hundred mile races at Talladega either. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I guess, I, I guess I should clarify the Daytona five hundred probably should not go away. But Talladega, um, you know, think about how much single file racing we saw, which wasn't bad. It wasn't bad in yeah. person, but if you're watching it on TV, that's a different story, right? Um, you know, if if you don't yeah, have those extra hundred miles, that that might change. Yeah, so. You know, if, if our listeners could could kind of see what I'm seeing right now, think of like a, a heavy duty caterpillar excavator picking up dirt out of out of the earth, right? And that's essentially what I'm seeing on the other end of FaceTime with Clark and his popcorn. It's um it's really wow, a sight. You to really see. laid that one out there for the viewers. <laughs> I want to do a full visual of what's thing. going on over here. I'm just shoveling this thing in my fat, <laughs> fat mouth. <laughs> That's not the first time he said that either. So, <laughs> Winston Woodford, how you doing tonight? Oh yeah, yep. Yeah, there. Oh, I think he's licking himself. Yeah, this I'm is sure fantastic. This it. is good quality content right here. Very good. <laughs> All right. Well, I I think um, I think it is something NASCAR should seriously look at moving forward with the Coca Cola 600. Um, I I don't know what the ratings are for the the Coke 600. Um, the past few year few years, but um, I just think it's too long of a race. Um, we can still have a crown jewel event, and and I think you still want to keep that crown jewel event, but maybe maybe decrease it by 500 miles. You have the Coca Cola 500. And then, like I said, you take some of those 500-mile races um, across the board and move them to 400-mile races. Um, there's no reason we should be racing four hours and uh, 50 minutes in a race in 2021. So, All right, Clark. Well, that does it for In the Groove or In the Marbles. Uh, let's head into our race preview for Charlotte Motor Speedway and Memorial Day weekend this week. All right, before we jump into our uh, race preview in terms of lineups and, and, and entry list, uh, NASCAR does something very special uh, for Memorial Day um, every year, and um, it, it is part of the NASCAR Salutes program. And um, Clark, as you'll see in our notes here, uh, we have a picture of Alex Bowman's car. And, and typically, with Memorial Day weekend, uh, NASCAR and, and the teams are involved in honoring some of our fallen service members and um, paying tribute to them. And, and how they do that is they, the, the windshield banners that they run across the, the tops of the cars, usually they say uh, the driver's name. So, so Alex Bowman or Chase Elliott or, or Ryan Blaney, right? It runs across the front. But for Memorial Day, we're giving back to those that have given so much to us, including their families. And uh, you're going to have, uh, you know, in the case of Alex Bowman right here, Captain Brewer um, running across the, the nameplate of, of Alex Bowman. And every car in the field is going to have a NASCAR Salutes 
service member across the windshield, paying tribute to the servicemen and women and their families that have given so much to make sure that we are living the life that we're living on a day-to-day -day basis. So a very cool program that NASCAR does every year um, and, and is, is a huge supporter of our, uh, our, our service men and women. So pretty cool deal, Clark. Um, you know my aunt, uh, my aunt Doreen, and, and uh, she actually has a friend um, whose who's, uh, husband uh, is going to be on Austin Dillon's car this weekend. I don't know if I told you that or not, but um, she received kind of a care package from NASCAR and NASCAR salutes in the mail today. Um, really cool, really cool idea or really cool, um, thing that, that has gone down with, um, with that. And, and he was a Navy SEAL. I didn't know him personally, but, um, I've actually been in contact with Richard Childress Racing and Austin Dillon, uh, Austin Dillon's team to, uh, to get some pictures sent their way and, and make sure that we're honoring him in, in the proper yeah. way. So pretty cool that NASCAR does this. Yeah, very um, cool. Um, uh, to, you know, to honor we can't members. thank enough. Um, our servicemen and women. Every time I get the privilege to work with a uh, military veteran um, to do their mortgage, or anytime I notice anybody in public um, that's you know proudly flying um, their hat for their branch of the military, or their flag, or their sticker for their branch of the military, if I run into them, I try to thank them for their service. Man, we live such a, an easy life. We really do. We're sitting around freaking drinking wine and eating popcorn and joking about our cats and talking about NASCAR. And the only reason that we can do that is because we have the freedoms of people who have given everything to this country um, and have have uh, risked their lives for us. And that's that's what Memorial Day is all about. And maybe that's why NASCAR does their, their longest race. Um, to to pay honors to that on Memorial Weekend, uh, maybe that's why. And if that is the case, then don't don't ever change it. Um, you know, I'll I'll change my opinion on that just like that because if if we're do, if we're running six hundred miles to honor, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, military vets with military paint schemes, go ahead and do it. Um, but yeah. Yeah, at, at that exactly. point, it doesn't really matter why or, or how many laps it is. Uh, they deserve yeah, all the time. Exactly. So again, it, they, I mean, it's they can get. it's one of those things things that's always been important to me. My grandpa served in the military, and um, you know, I know your dad served in the military, and so it's just it's one of those things that um, yep. I didn't do it, and you know, I know that. Uh, that those guys put a lot on the line and they sacrifice, even if they're not injured or anything like that, they put so much on the line and they sacrifice so much for this country. They sacrifice their family time. They sacrifice their personal time um, to go out there and make this country what it is. So can't thank them enough. And um, I think it's cool that NASCAR um, and other sports honor them in, in big ways. So yeah, absolutely. Um, as you mentioned, Clark, we're we're pretty fortunate to to live in the country that we do. Um, we obviously have our challenges, just like everybody else does. But uh, we are allowed to have the freedoms uh, every day of of every year 
um, because of those that have given so much uh, to this country. So, um, so thank you for your service um, to, to you and your families. Um, and uh, with that being said, let's jump into the race preview uh, for Charlotte Motor Speedway and the Coca-Cola 600 weekend. Clark, we have a full weekend on tap. Uh, we do not have the ARCA lineup here, or the ARCA entry list, but uh, we have ARCA, Trucks, Xfinity, and Cup this weekend. So, an absolutely packed house at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And, and for our listeners out there, Charlotte Motor Speedway is the NASCAR hub to all the teams and crew members and drivers. Um, so, it's always a really special um, family event when you're out there at Charlotte Motor Speedway. So uh, teams always look forward to going back to Charlotte and putting everything they can on the line. Um, and uh, we go there twice a year. So, um, But, hey, you have to imagine that Memorial Day weekend is just a little bit more special when you can uh, check that off the, uh, off the list for getting a win. So first race up uh, that we have this week in, in the uh, actual NASCAR series is the Camping World Truck Series. Uh, again, Clark, another full field, 40 trucks uh, online um, for the race this weekend, um, and and that is always a good race. I know you you and I have raced there a couple times on iRacing, and it's a it's a blast to run there at Charlotte. So, um, second race of the weekend, uh, Xfinity race, uh, man, another f more than full field, 43 cars uh, for 40 spots. Um, the Xfinity series is very strong uh, to start this year. We're and, halfway um, through. Hell, Over halfway now. Halfway through the year, aren't we? So, um, man, oh man, yeah, it's it's crazy. It, the season will be over before we know it. So, uh, and then finally, the Cup Series. Um, as we've talked before, we want to see the Cup Series getting uh, getting a little higher car count, but uh, thirty eight cars uh, for the Cup Series this weekend. I think that'll change with the, the next gen here in the next year. But um, another solid field uh, for NASCAR's longest race of the year. So, Clark, uh, you know, one thing we didn't do to start this show was uh, kind of recap uh, what the fantasy standings looked like. Did we? Did we? Did we touch on that? <laughs> uh, I got my second win of the season, my first win of the season. I got a grandfather clock for that I'm going to hang on my Christmas tree this year with Martin Truex Jr. <laughs> at, um, at Martinsville. Derek has one win with Ryan Blaney. I forget where that was at, but it was week six. Um, and anyways, Derek was able to muster up a good two points this week. In fantasy, with Martin Truex Jr., <laughs> uh, who was involved in that unfortunate rack Ouch. again, that um, I'm sure our listeners know about at this point because we've talked almost the whole episode about it. It seems, <laughs> um, but Chase Elliott was able to get that shortened race <laughs> victory, uh, which is Derek's favorite driver, and I'm sure Derek was. Yep, you didn't have the option to, who, but you were who going I didn't to. pick this week. Um, you you did say that to me. You when I picked him, you were like, "Damn you!" I was going to pick him. 
So, anyways, I got 49 <laughs> points out of Chase, uh, plus a bonus 10 points because of the win. If you guys recall the rules, if you if you pick the driver that wins, we are awarding 10 bonus points. So that's my second win of the season. Uh, about week four, I brought up uh, on the episode, I was like, are we going to get a win this season? Are we going to pick the correct driver? And now we've got three between the two of us, with me having two of those. Um and the overall regular season points are Derek 436, Clark 421. Really, really narrowed the gap this week. Oh, boy. Uh, and, and I distanced myself from third place as well okay. with Logan with 50. Yeah, he's had, <laughs> Logan he's still had zero points for Good about job, buddy. six or seven <laughs> weeks in a row now. <laughs> Very solid. Very solid. Good work. Good work. Well, with that being said, uh, yeah, it was a uh, royal ass-kicking um, at Coda this past weekend. Um, I thought Martin had, had the race won for me, but um, unfortunately, rain got in the way. It's the cat food going off. <laughs> um, so, yeah, unfortunately, uh, you know, well, fortunately and unfortunately, uh, I'm happy my man Chase Elliott won for the weekend, but it did not help me help me in fantasy. So, um, but I do feel confident with the Coca-Cola 600 coming up this weekend. Yes. Um, and Clark, I get to pick first, right? Okay. All right. I am going to go with my man Alex Bowman in that Ally Chevrolet. Uh, Alex last year led 164 laps, uh, the most out of anyone in the race. Um, unfortunately, could not get it done. Ended up finishing 19th, the last car on the lead lap. But I do feel that the way that the that, that this team has headed in the last, I don't know, four or five weeks, that I think he is the man to win the Coca-Cola 600 and just keep this, right. this roll of the season going for Alex. I think it's a good pick. He led a lot of laps there last year, I believe. Um, maybe 2019, I can't remember. Wait, no. Mm-hmm. It was last year because Jimmy was in the car in 2019. Nope, it was right? last year. <laughs> um, right. But anyways. Yeah. Uh, yep. No, I think that's a good pick. He led a ton of laps there. I think it was like 190-some or 180-some. Um, so... We'll see. Uh, he couldn't get the job done last year. Uh, I'm going with, and I flip-flopped on this, I was going to go with Kyle Busch, so I just want to put it on the record just in case Kyle Busch wins. Everybody knows that I'm an idiot. Uh, I was going to go with Kyle Busch <laughs> because we had talked about his 2018 dominance. He had... Uh, Led all but like 20 laps or something like that. He had led like 379 of the 400 laps or something like that. And then um, recently he's had some good races. Uh, in 2019 and 20, he has uh, scored a lot of points here. Uh, I believe both of the, well, there was two races last year. Um almost back-to-back, and one of them he did poorly, but the other one, and then in 2019, those two, he scored above 50 points, which is all I'm really aiming for here. If I can score above 50 points every week, I think I'm going to beat you, because uh, I don't think you're going to be scoring above 50 points every week. You're going to have those two-point <laughs> weeks here and there. 
which you had one in you had one in week ten. Careful. With Kurt Bush. You had one in week fourteen mm-hmm. with Martin Truex, which was last week. And you had a three point week in week two with Kyle Bush. Um so those Bush brothers have not been good to you. You've had <laughs> Kurt Bush for two Ouch. and Kyle Bush for three. Um which doesn't which is might have been one of the reasons I flipped away from Kyle Bush because it seems like every time somebody goes to pick him, they don't score much. I picked him. I picked Kyle Bush in in uh, quarter one and quarter two and got seventeen plus thirty three. I got uh, fifty points out of Kyle Bush. So, anyways, Martin Truex has run very well there as well um, for the Coca Cola Six Hundred. He's been above fifty points for I believe all all of the last four races. I could be wrong on that. He's led a lot of laps, um, and it doesn't matter what package we're running. Uh, if it was the same package as 18 or um, the more recent packages, um, he has had success here. So hoping for a good one out of Martin Truex, hoping for 50-plus points, and to come back and say that I took the lead from you. Yeah, you can only hope. Um, you have had a good couple weeks, uh, which I will give you credit for. Um, I'm kind of on a downward spiral right now. But I do feel confident in Alex Bowman picking up uh, the Coca-Cola 600 win this year uh, for Memorial Day weekend. So, uh, fun fact, I was actually just looking up stats, and uh, you were talking about Jimmy Johnson. Uh, Jimmy Johnson was actually disqualified from this race last year and finished dead last in the Coca-Cola 600. Um, It's pretty safe to say that if he was not disqualified, he probably would have made the playoffs last year. But... um, but yeah, NASCAR's longest race of the year, as well as the Indy 500 uh, coming up this weekend. Um, I'm hoping to get to watch the Indy 500 and the Coca-Cola 600. Uh, the Indy 500, um, Clark, I'm serious. we got to go next year. Um, we should probably book like ASAP, get there for Memorial Day weekend, hang out at the racetrack. It's, it's, it's an event unlike any other. So... Um, yeah, tune in at, I think, noon this weekend for the Indy 500, and then Coca-Cola 600 starts about 6 p.m. So um, it's going to be an exciting weekend of racing, plenty of it. Um, what, 1,100 miles yeah. between the two races? Can't beat that. <laughs> so, but, uh, no, I think, uh, man, what an exciting weekend at COTA. Um, lots of unknowns as we head into the next season, and, and uh and, and quite honestly, even the road courses uh, the rest of the year. But um, lots of questions, a lot of um, procedural changes that we're, we're possibly going to see with NASCAR and, and see what they're going to do in terms of rain racing and, and rules packages and everything like that. So uh, with that being said, Clark, you got anything, uh, anything yeah, to add here before we shut her down on, um, on the night here? It's been a fun year so far. Um, and so I just wanted to get another plug for hashtag best season ever in here. Um, I haven't always been a NASCAR fan, but, and maybe it's, maybe it's the podcast that's doing this, but it's been one of the most fun NASCAR seasons that I can remember, um, since I've been actively watching, uh, with all the different winners and, um, you know, we've got all these things to talk about with 
rain and running in the rain and, um, you know, gambling on racing um, and, against my better judgment, taking your <laughs> advice to not pick Michael McDowell to win the Daytona 500. <laughs> Making our way to Talladega was awesome. Um, you know, getting a Martinsville uh, grandfather clock as a gift for picking the right winner there. Like, all these things have been just so fun. Um, glad to be able to kind of document it with a, uh, with a podcast. And then, of course, having... I would have never thought that a hobby would have led to us interviewing Ryan Vargas. So... Those are my closing thoughts. Uh, I've had a ton of fun with doing this. Um, yeah. A little bit over halfway through the season, uh, the regular season, I should say, or a little bit over halfway through the regular season. Um, yeah. Just been a blast. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like you said, we only have we're, we're only halfway into it, and we, we're not even close to the playoffs yet, right? So. Um, it's only going to get better, and I think that's a fair uh, way to put it, as this really is turning into the hashtag best season ever. So with that being said, uh, Clark, uh, let's head into Memorial Day weekend, thanking our veterans and our service members, and uh, you know, be thankful for the country that we live in, and uh, look forward to a, a, a weekend with, with our families and friends. So uh, for the Life in the Fans Lane podcast, not Clark yet. Is giving, Clark is giving me the... For it being Please Memorial hold. Day weekend. Please hold. If, if anybody tweets <laughs> us with hashtag end of pod squad, hashtag thank you for your service, those two hashtags, you tweet at in the fans lane, every tweet that we get... I will donate five dollars to the Wounded Warrior Project. Wow, Clark coming up with the uh, the last minute uh, charity here. Uh, that's awesome. Good for you. So uh, we would love to have that. And um, yeah, absolutely. I will. Uh, I will do the same. Uh, you had actually uh, apparently researched a little um, uh, charity there. So I will uh, definitely join into that um, as well. So. With that being said, uh, this has been Life in the Fans Lane Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter uh, with the tag and handle at in the fans lane and on Instagram at Life in the Fans Lane. Clark, have a good weekend. Uh, actually, have a sh weekend. I don't care. I'm flipping him but, off. Um, <laughs> As he shovels popcorn down his throat. Uh, it's been a great episode, been a great week of racing, road course racing. Uh, we are continuing to move through this season. And with that being said, you guys have a good weekend and uh, a good start to the summer, and we will catch you next week.